Welcome to part two of our Extension Out Loud conversation with Larry Smart. During this part of our conversation, we talked about feral hemp and organic production, the new USDA-funded hemp germplasm repository, and emerging disease risks for hemp production. So give it a listen. So let me raise another issue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is uh, that pollen can be produced by what we call feral hemp. In the Midwest, it's called ditchweed. Okay. So uh, the largest period of hemp cultivation was in 1943 uh, when hemp was being grown to produce rope for the war effort. And that cultivation of fiber hemp in the Midwest, those seeds uh, escaped cultivation and now grow wild in the ditches uh, in Nebraska, Kansas, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa. I'm told it's quite easy to find feral hemp or ditchweed in those states, and those plants would be actively producing pollen. Right. And if you have a ditchweed population within three miles, it can pollinate your CBD crop. Wow. The interesting thing, and we have been searching for ditchweed in New York because uh, we see it as an interesting resource in our breeding program, we have only found two wild populations of hemp in the state so far. Huh. If anyone knows of a feral hemp population, please contact me. <laughs> uh, it needs to be hemp and not not, not feral uh, marijuana. Feral marijuana, <laughs> because again, that represents plants that have grown and become adapted to our latitude and our growing conditions here in New York State, and potentially represent a valuable resource for breeding. But for our CBD growers, we have currently have very little risk of pollination from ditchweed in mm -hmm. the state. But as the industry expands and we have more fiber and grain hemp being grown, I think we can expect it to turn into ditchweed. Yeah, there'll be escapees that are right. unavoidable. Exactly. Um, since we're spending so much time talking about seed, why don't we talk a little bit about the, the new seed bank? One of the things that, again, is critical for breeding, and I, I've been working for two years now to establish a hemp breeding program to develop cultivars for New York conditions and markets. One of the resources that plant breeders rely on are large and diverse collections of seeds, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes from the native range of that crop uh, where it first evolved and uh, maybe still in an undomesticated form, as well as lines that are in various stages of breeding and have genes for disease resistance and pest resistance and stress tolerance mm -hmm. that we can incorporate into breeding programs. So the USDA Ag Research Service maintains large germplasm collections or seed banks for essentially all of our commercial crops in the U.S., they did have a hemp germplasm collection that was destroyed in the 70s after the Controlled Substance Act took effect. Hmm. So there are entries in the USDA database which say no longer active. We're very fortunate that Senator Schumer pushed to incorporate language into the latest ag appropriation bill to reinitiate the hemp germplasm collection maintained by USDA, mm -hmm. and to locate that collection at Cornell Agritech in Geneva in our Plant Genetic Resources Unit, which already maintains uh, national germplasm collections for apple, cold season grapes, tart cherries, 
tomatoes, many brassica species. So they will simply be adding a new hemp collection and hiring a curator at some point to maintain and expand that collection, which will then be publicly available upon request for any hemp breeders across the country to incorporate into their breeding programs. Wow. So that's really exciting. I'm very fortunate to be located at Cornell Agritech <laughs> and to help the USDA get that germplasm collection started prior to their hiring of a curator. But it, it will be an exciting collaboration between Cornell and USDA as we have in our apple breeding programs and grape breeding programs. What does a seed bank look like? I imagine like a, a file cabinet with seeds or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, essentially it's, okay. a, it's a big file cabinet with a lot of little envelopes of very well-labeled seeds mm-hmm. in a freezer, a humidity and temperature controlled uh, seed vault. And we have those facilities in Geneva. Our curator of our current seeded collections is Joanne Labate. And she responds to hundreds or probably thousands of requests every year for seed, which gets packaged up and uh, mailed out for free uh, as a service of the U.S. government. Wow. (laughs) And it's her responsibility to make sure that that seed remains viable. And as the seed gets old and loses viability, she needs to grow up more of it. So it's a daunting task. For one person to maintain that much variety. Yeah. That's fascinating. So it really is a process where you do have to periodically grow for new seeds. That's right. And and keep keep those plants isolated so that the genetic integrity of that collection is is intact. Right. Wow. So we're now looking at installing some of the facilities that we would need, isolated growth chambers, uh, to be able to propagate hemp seed without the risk of pollen contamination between these different accessions. I will say that the native range of cannabis sativa is in Central Asia. It's in Kazakhstan, Pakistan, northern India, uh, Uzbekistan, in that region uh, where that plant is illegal because of the THC concentration. So the curator of this collection will need to establish guidelines for what material they can collect and maintain in that collection uh, since they will only be able to handle plants that are less than 0.3% THC. Mm-hmm. Is there any estimate of how many different varieties of hemp there are out there? Is there a ballpark figure? Uh, There is a company called Phylos, which has offered a service of genetic fingerprinting similar to 23andMe for humans uh, for hemp and marijuana growers to collect a leaf sample, send that to the company, and then have it DNA fingerprinted. And you can go to their website and see the diversity of samples that they have analyzed in a three-dimensional visualization, which they call the Phylos Galaxy. And they have analyzed thousands of samples. And they do break out into different genetic groups. The one that is, to me, most interesting and most diverse are the feral hemp and wild hemp entries that they have in their database. There has been some bottlenecking, we say, in the breeding of 
commercial hemp cultivars and of marijuana. And CBD hemp is actually often a hybrid between hemp and marijuana with the genes for THC production having been bred out of the hemp, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sure. (laughs) That that is a risk right now in that a lot of the hemp varieties for CBD are coming from Colorado and Oregon, where there is also uh, legal recreational marijuana. Right. So we do have, again, preliminary evidence from my lab that some commercial seed lots that we've acquired do still have genes for THC production, which represents a big risk to our growers. So let's talk about some of the other risks that growers are facing. What kind of pests and diseases are you seeing? So that's a really interesting topic because as a new crop on the landscape, it hasn't been a host available for pests and diseases to attack, but now we've tripled the acreage each year for the last three years. I estimate we have somewhere between eight and 10,000 acres of hemp, mm. where we only had 2,400 acres of hemp last year. Wow. So there's a lot more opportunity for pests and diseases to find that plant as a host. And our pathologist, in parallel with plant pathologists at University of Kentucky, have actually identified new species of fungi that are attacking hemp. Wow. So there are risks from pathogens. Probably the most economically damaging pest that we've found on CBD hemp is European corn borer. So that's an insect pest, which is just as happy chewing on the stem of a hemp plant as it is on the stem of a corn plant and can be very challenging to control. The other aspect is that because hemp was federally illegal, the EPA would not register any pesticides for use on hemp. But now that is changing. In fact, last week, EPA announced that they are in review of 10 applications for pesticide products for use on hemp. And New York State DEC, just in the last few days, has published a list of products that they have approved for use on hemp for pest and disease management. Hmm. So we are now starting to get some tools that are approved for use in New York for management of pest and diseases. But we need to identify the biggest economic risks in terms of pest and diseases. And then hopefully in our breeding program, we can identify genetic resistance that we can incorporate into new cultivars. Soon enough, there will be a a distinction between organic hemp and conventional hemp, one would imagine. Yes. So in New York State, It's NOFA New York, who is our certifier for organic crops, and they will certify a hemp crop as organic, according to their standards. Again, because of the lack of federal regulations, we do not have a good set of guidelines from the National Organic Program. So I have been learning that there are some differences from state to state based on the certifier in your state in some of the minute details of what can be certified as organic hemp. There is a price advantage for organic grain because many of the products that are sold in the supermarkets uh, hold that USDA certified organic label, and that does bring a higher price for organic grain. 
there are some CBD companies now that are selling certified organic products, mm -hmm. uh, CBD products. I have not really seen a price advantage for that yet, mm -hmm. but I think as more products come on the marketplace, consumers will probably start to see or, or express their preferences for an organic product over a non-organic product and may be willing to pay more for that. I think one of the challenges is, I mean, because CBD oil is such a new product, it's expensive no matter what. That's right. And so once we have more producers, we'll see some differentials, hopefully, um, because it is not a cheap product. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Although it is getting cheaper. So that is one of the other risks to growers right now is that the prices that were paid last year are already dropping because there are some reports that we have eightfold greater production right now nationwide than the market will bear. Oh my God. Again, That's... we have seen a tripling of acreage nationwide that has held true in New York State as well. And when you have that much expansion of production, it's hard for the marketplace to keep up. It's hard for the processing capacity to keep up with that much production. And we're seeing prices drop pretty rapidly right now. So what would you say to somebody who is considering hemp as a possible crop? Should they wait? I'm asking you for market analysis here. I realize <laughs> and that's not your specialty, but, yep. but just to practically, what would you say to somebody who says, I have 10 acres I'd like to plant? Yep. So the first thing I would say is that you have a lot of homework to do. It is not a simple crop to grow. Mm -hmm. We've outlined a number of risks from weather to pests and diseases to THC monitoring uh, to price fluctuation. So you really want to have a solid business plan where you think that your operation will be competitive with the 500 other growers who have already entered the marketplace some of whom who have two or even three years of production experience already. Yeah. So to a certain extent, the market fluctuations right now are so great that I would think I would wait a little bit until there's a little more stability in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Part of that is caused by the lack of clear regulation by the FDA of CBD products, which has somewhat hindered development of the marketplace. Once we see, and I think we will see, CBD and hemp extracts incorporated widely into food and beverages, that the market expansion will be very rapid after that and should be able to handle our current production. But yeah, right now I think the overproduction is driving prices down and the profit margin for growers is getting thinner and thinner. You are part of the Cornell Hemp team, uh, which, uh, to my understanding, is both researchers and specialists who are out in the field helping growers. Can you talk a little bit about what the researchers are doing and what the specialists are doing to help growers? We've started with some of the basics on our research team of evaluating cultivars and cultivar trials around the state, characterizing the pests and diseases, and developing the educational material that our specialists need to be able to work with growers directly. So most of our researchers right now are within the School of Integrated Plant Science, working on crop production, agronomy, but now we're seeing more researchers get involved in basic studies of hemp. And there's also been an evolution of our 
Cornell Cooperative Extension Specialists, where we initially started with members of our field crops team and dairy teams, but now we see the expansion of the CBD hemp, and we are bringing in, almost of necessity, more of our vegetable production specialists. And I think we're seeing a, a bifurcation of the industry with a mix of field crops production and specialty crops production. We do currently have a search open for an extension specialist in Harvest, New York, based in Broome County, who would be focused on emerging crops, mainly hops and hemp. So we're hoping to fill that position very soon. And that person would, I think, immediately take more of a statewide leadership position in coordinating our hemp extension statewide. Hemp and hops, what is the uh, relationship there? Oh, (laughs) so uh, hemp and hops are the two closest relatives to each other botanically. Mm -hmm. Uh, They both share this boom cycle, hops a little bit ahead of hemp. We're now seeing hemp growers use hop drying equipment Mm-hmm. because of the terpene profiles that both crops produce that you want to preserve through drying. So there are actually a lot of similarities between the two crops, but I think it's mainly the aspect of a rapid boom and the emergence of hops and hemp that put those two together and mm-hmm. hopefully finding someone that, with expertise across both crops. Any other research that you're either working on now or that you know about in the larger hemp world that's exciting? So we are almost every day coordinating researchers with new interest in hemp. So I just came from a meeting at the College of Veterinary Medicine where we are hoping to uh, collaborate with them to do some of the foundational research that we need to do in animal responses to CBD Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of CBD products being marketed for pets right now, mainly companion animals, Mm -hmm. uh, dogs and cats, with relatively little to no clinical research as a foundation for using those products. Uh, Similarly, we're hoping to get funding to collaborate with folks at Wild Cornell Medicine to again do some of the foundational research that we need to understand how not only CBD, but other cannabinoids interact with the pain signaling pathways uh, to really get a a solid understanding of how these products can be used as a medicine or a pharmaceutical. Is there an international market for any of the hemp being grown in New York State right now? Yeah, we're not an exporter right now. We're an importer. So all fiber is being produced in China right now. All hemp fiber? really no domestic production of fiber commercially. Okay. It's really a niche market. Mm-hmm. So the products that you can buy from Patagonia or Orvis or other companies are all made in China. Wow. Because we really don't have a textile industry in the U.S. anymore. So we could grow the hemp, ship it to Vietnam to be made oh into God. textiles, then the, and then shipped back. But the carbon debt you're, you're right. incurring to do that really doesn't... So developing a, a hemp textile industry in the U.S. is really a pipe dream. Really? That's why I talk about the biocomposites. That's what we will do well. That's the industry that we have is, Mm -hmm. you know, the aerospace industry, the auto industry, other technical industries. That's where we need to put our focus in. 
and then specialty food products. Right now we're competing with Canada uh, for food production for oil and hemp protein. Uh -huh. They grow are growing about 125,000 acres just for food. Wow. So we are now competing with them. How long has Canada been producing hemp? Uh, close to 20 years. Okay. And, yeah. and so do you have a lot of dialogue with Canadian yeah. colleagues? Yeah. They're very open. Uh, at our field day, we had two major hemp producers from Canada visiting. And so I'll just say that the market that will be open for CBD will be export into Canada. CBD was not legal in Canada until the marijuana bill passed. Really? So CBD is being sold in the same dispensaries with marijuana. But the production of CBD hemp is highly regulated in Canada. You can only grow certified cultivars, and they won't certify a CBD cultivar without three years of production data, which since they only legalized production of CBD hemp last August, they're still not producing. They're in their first year of production data. So they're actually looking to production data from the U.S. to potentially certify U.S. CBD hemp cultivars for growth in Canada. So what they're doing for now is taking some of the fiber hemp cultivars that produce a little bit higher level of CBD, 3% instead of the normal 10%, and they're culling out all the males from fiber cultivars from Italy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> So I think in the short term, our CBD producers will probably be exporting CBD into the Canadian market, but we're concerned about large-scale production of CBD from China and Europe. Wow, okay. In. That's fascinating. And then we're going to start seeing a lot of other countries like Uruguay, Colombia. Production of hemp is really scaling up in Colombia right now. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, that... Hmm. And marijuana is legal in Europe. Uruguay, yeah. So if you're considering getting into hemp production, who should you contact? What's your point of contact? Do they send you an email, Larry? Do they talk to one of our area team members? What should they do? So again, the first thing is to do your research. And we have a lot of information on our website, which is hemp.cals.cornell.edu, or you can just Google Cornell Hemp Research Team. Uh, so we have some very... Uh, thoroughly prepared documents outlining uh, where to go at, on the Ag and Markets website to get the application forms for the licenses, uh, s potential seed sources, potential testing labs. We have a lot of information on our website in addition to you know, data from our research uh, trials. Mm -hmm. And then if you have questions about how hemp might fit into your particular farm operation, that's the time to contact your local Cornell Cooperative Extension office and ask for the hemp specialist in your region. Mm -hmm. It may not be a county specialist, but rather one of our regional team specialists. Great. And they can talk to you about the economics of hemp, uh, talk about the potential processors uh, within your region, mm -hmm. and uh, again, how hemp might fit into your normal farm op operation. And we'll yeah. be sure to link to the uh, Cornell Hemp website from the uh, podcast description for yep. this episode. Great. Thank you for listening to Extension Out Loud, brought to you by Cornell Cooperative Extension. 
This episode of Extension Out Loud was produced and edited by Paul Treadwell with help and advice from Katie Belden and R.J. Anderson. Please give us your feedback through our listener survey and sign up for our mailing list for notifications about new episodes. Links to both of these can be found on our SoundCloud page. Or by visiting extensionoutloud.com. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. <laughs>